That will be helpful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you, Lord. I thank you for everyone who's here. Thank you for the visitors who are here. I do pray they feel welcomed and loved tonight. And I pray for those watching on live stream, those who will watch us on Vimeo and YouTube or hear it on the radio later. Lord, just minister to their hearts as well. And Lord, we just thank you that you, again, are the reason for this season. Lord, this is all about you. Be blessed, be glorified. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Luke chapter two is one of the most read portions of scripture, especially this time of year. It's read by millions every year on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, but no matter how many times you've read it or seen it reenacted in a play, may we never get tired of it. Because while we are all about gifts at Christmas time, and some of you will be shopping probably after you leave here tonight and tomorrow, and, uh, and now that it's Amazon, you don't have to leave your house anymore. But as we're shopping for gifts, and again, it's, I love to give gifts, especially you know, to my family. I love to bless them. But guys, the gift that really matters is the one that God gave us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And guys, it's not enough to believe there is a God. It's not enough to know about him. It's not enough to be religious. Do you have a relationship with the Lord? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Have you recognized that you're a sinner in need of a Savior? And have you asked Him to come and rule and reign? So more than just Savior, we make Him Lord. So either, you're the, either He's the Lord of all or He's not Lord at all. You can't, you're, you can't be kind of a Christian or kind of saved. Either you have a relationship with Him or you don't. And my prayer is that you would come to know Him if you don't know Him already. Truly the most awesome event in human history. You know, people will, they, as soon as people find out you're a pastor, they love to ask you questions and they act like that as believers that somehow we check our brains at the door because faith is belief in spite of the evidence. And certainly that's not the case because that would be superstition and that would be foolish. Amen? We don't believe in spite of the evidence. Science proves it. It's proven historically, proven prophetically. We'll see some of that tonight. It's proven archaeologically. The Word of God is true. It's 66 books written by 40 authors on three continents in three languages over 1,500 years with one central theme and no contradictions, and that's only possible because God wrote it. Amen? And so the living, breathing Word of God, it's a roadmap for life. It's got the answer for why we live and move and breathe and why we even exist. Almighty God becoming a man we'll see tonight so they might die in our place. And again, Jesus is God who came to earth to die for you. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. There's two undeniable facts. There is a God and you're not him. Amen? But also, you also need to know that he loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. He's a, he's a gracious God, a loving God, and a merciful God. He offers salvation to everyone, but he won't force it on you. He wants to have a relationship with you. We're all going to make a decision about Jesus. Because guys, he's more than just a baby in a manger. He's a savior on a cross. And then he's a risen and living savior over an empty tomb. Amen? And so that's the God that we serve. And we're going to take a look at the story of his birth tonight. I want to look at the story of his birth, both in the historical context and in the way people respond to the events that happened 2,000 years ago. So we're going to see that God divinely uses the world to bring Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem at the appointed time for her to give birth to her son, Jesus Christ. And we're going to see how God orchestrated that. You know what that encourages me with? To know that God is in control and God is sovereign. Amen? 
that nothing happens outside of God's will and outside of God's timing. But then we're going to see that sadly, can you imagine being in Bethlehem and missing out on Jesus? Because you're so busy doing something else. And sadly, that's what happens at Christmas too often. We're so busy shopping for presents, or we're so busy watching football, or we're so busy hanging out with family. Not saying hanging out with family is a wonderful thing, it's something I love. But you know what? We shouldn't be so focused on that that we forget the guest of honor. Because, guys, it's Jesus' birthday. Amen? And again, probably not the actual day, but it's the day that we remember it. Amen? And praise God for it. So we're going to see the, some of the examples in tonight's text that correlate with the world today. We're going to see the innkeepers. So these innkeepers, these are guys who open up their, their homes and open up their hotels, if you will, motels, if you will. They didn't really have motels like we think of back then, but they would have extra rooms that they would rent out. And because of the census, all these families would have to go back to, their, to where their families were from. And so this would be the day that the city was filled with the most people, the opportunity to make the most money. Signs account sounds kind of like Christmas now, amen? People come from far away and the innkeepers are making nothing but money and they see Christmas as an opportunity. They see this census as an opportunity to get wealthy. And the same thing happens with business owners today. Then you see the travelers who came for the census. They're like the shoppers who are shopping at Christmas. And again, those who the Lord brings good news to will see how they respond. So if you have your outline, grab it. And let me go through it quickly, and then we'll dig into the text. I tell, I tell the message, it's not Christmas without Christ. Amen? And it's not Merry Exodus, by the way, and it's not Happy Holidays. It's Merry Christmas with Christ in there. Amen? And we don't want to miss Christmas. We don't want to miss the reason behind it. Uh, you know, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Confess him now, you'll spend eternity in heaven. Reject him now, you will confess him later, but you'll be separated from him for all eternity. So we don't want to miss Christmas. We don't want to miss the meaning behind it. So two main points or some subpoints. if you got your outline. First, we're going to see the truth about our Savior's birth. It's not a holiday created by man, but it's a part of God's sovereign plan. It's not about gifts under a tree, but the gift that came from heaven who would one day hang on the cross, hang on a tree. It's second point there, verse four to six. It's not a fable created by man, but it's the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. If you come on Sunday, so Luke, the four gospels, the gospel of Luke was mainly written to the Gentiles. We're going to look at the, the account of Jesus' birth in Matthew on Sunday, which was written largely to the Jews. And because of that, we're going to see all the Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled by Christ in his birth. We'll see some of that tonight as well. So we'll see the truth about our Savior's birth. And then the second and final point will be, how will you respond to the message of Christmas? Are you going to be like the innkeepers and travelers so busy you miss Jesus, busy pursuing money, uh, comfort, or pleasure? Like the angels, boldly proclaiming the good news. Um, again, I'm, we're really glad you're here. We do hope you feel welcomed and loved if you've never been here before, if you haven't been here in a long time. We just, we're just really glad you're here, and we're really glad you're, a lot of you are here with your family, and we're thankful that you're here. But guys, once we learn about the Lord, do we keep it to ourselves? And sadly, too many of us can. It becomes uncomfortable. I don't want to talk to people about the Lord because I might not have all the answers or I, or I might, you know, they, maybe they don't want to talk about it. I'm just glad somebody loved me enough to tell me about Jesus. How about you? And we should not keep it to ourselves. And then finally, the, like the innkeepers, like the angels boldly proclaiming the truth, they're like the humble shepherds who responded in faithful obedience to the message 
of our Savior. So let's begin there in Luke 20, beginning there, Luke 2, 2 excuse me, verse 1, looking at the truth about our Savior's birth. Let's not miss Christmas. That it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. So Caesar Augustus was the grand nephew of Julius Caesar, and we know that he reigned from uh, 6 BC until about four years, four AD. So he was reigning during the time when Jesus was born. He was the one that was in charge in a sense, but God is going to use him and this decree that he makes and the decree that he is going to make is, and this only happened every 14 years, was that everybody had to return home to be counted and to be taxed. And so when the decree would come out, no matter how far away you live from the place where your family was from, you'd have to go back to your family hometown. Now for us, we'd probably just jump on a plane. It wouldn't be that big a deal. We're going to find out tonight for Mary and Joseph, it's going to be a little bit bigger deal than that. Octavius ascended to undisputed supremacy, we'll see later, and declared, uh, was declared Roman's first in, uh, emperor and given the title of Augustus. This just means exalted one. So this guy's name is Caesar Exalted One. You've got to be a little full of yourself when you name yourself Exalted One. And so he thinks he's an exalted one. We're going to see that they're going to have issues when they find out that people travel a great distance to see Jesus. It says, to all the world to be registered, not one, again, not a one-time sentence, but something that took place every 14 years. Now, Mary and Joseph, extra credit for you Bible scholars, were of what tribe? Tribe of Judah. Same tribe, of course. The Bible says that the lion of the tribe of Judah it tells us in the Old Testament that the Messiah will come from the tribe of Judah. And they were from Bethlehem. And so we know that the, an angel came and appeared to Mary before she was married. She was a young girl, a virgin girl. And it's told that she's going to have a baby. Now there's a miracle. How many of you guys were born of a virgin birth? Okay. You're either a liar or you're crazy. And in either case, we want to help you. Can I get an amen to that? But Jesus, it was prophesied again in the Old Testament that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. And we, 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 sometimes we lose sight of Joseph. Can you imagine if you're engaged to be married? In those days, they had a betrothal. And the way the betrothal worked is that your families would come together. They would decide you're going to be married. And the first time you would ever be alone was on your wedding night. You were always chaperoned. And there was a one-year betrothal period with no physical contact until you got married. So what would happen is when the word came out that she was with child, she literally could have been stoned to death. If Joseph had said, we had, you know, we're betrothed to each other, we're not married yet, and she's committed adultery, they could have stoned her to death. But we know that an angel also appeared to Joseph, and Joseph was willing to be faithful uh, to take Mary as his wife and to raise the child that she would bear. So they had to go back to the place, back to Bethlehem. And it says there in verse 2, the census took place while Quirinius was governing over Syria. So fixing the probable date, as I said, between 6 BC and 4 AD. Verse 3, it says, so they all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. So God uses Caesar's edict. So God can even use a, a command being made by someone who doesn't know him, by an ungodly nation to bring about his perfect will. I want to say this, COVID was difficult for a lot of us, but guess what? I think COVID is something God is using to wake the church up. 
Amen? Because COVID has not uh, impacted the church as much as it's revealed the church. We have churches that are still closed, been closed for two years. If you can close for two years, you've lost your way. Amen? The Bible says, forsake not the gathering yourselves together, and all the more as the day approaches. Now, again, if you have health issues and you want to stay home and watch on live stream, we totally understand that. We respect that, and we will pray for you and minister to you any way that we can. But at the same time, you know, if you're willing to go to the grocery store, you should be willing to come to church. Amen? And so gathering together is important. And so even, you know, edicts that come down from the government and we can get upset about, just look at those as opportunities for the gospel. Amen? And so this edict goes out, and we know that it's God's perfect timing and God's perfect will. Verse 4 to 6. Now watch what it says. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judah, into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and the lineage of David. So this is not a, a fable created by you know, Aesop. This is an historical account of what actually happened in those days. Now, I'm going to give you a few of them, but there's over 200 Old Testament prophecies fulfilled by Jesus. Over 200. And I'm going to give you uh, just six. And the odds of these six all coming true about somebody being told about them beforehand and all of them coming true is one in 72 million. Okay? Well, when you get to 200, it's one in trillions. Guys, Jesus coming to earth... And all the prophecy he fulfilled is the greatest amount of evidence that he is who he said he is. Amen? And so here's some of the prophecies. It says in Genesis, he'll be a human and not an angel, speaking of the Messiah, the Christ. He'll be a Jew and not a Gentile in Genesis 12. From the tribe of Judah in Genesis 49. From the family of David, as we see here in that verse, but also in 2 Samuel chapter 7. That he'd be born of a virgin in Isaiah 7, 14. And in the city of David, in the city of Bethlehem, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. All of these things came exactly true about Jesus Christ. By the way, no prophecy about Buddha. No prophecy about Muhammad. No prophecy about Joseph Smith. No prophecy about Charles Taze Russell. No prophecy about L. Ron Hubbard and Church of Scientology. Amen? And again, we love all those people. We're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. But there's false prophets that the enemy wants to use to draw you away from the truth. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. So guys, there's only one way God said to get to heaven, and Jesus is the only way, and he is the fulfillment of all these Old Testament prophecies. Again, more than just a baby in a manger, but the Savior of the world. So Joseph and Mary are both, we know from the other gospel accounts, of the lineage of King David. So they have to go together to Bethlehem, there to be registered, and there to be taxed. Now, just so you know from where they were, it's an 80-mile trek through the desert, and we're about to find out, you know, she's nine months pregnant. Now, when my wife and I would travel a lot, I have four children. As you know, one of them just recently went to heaven, and heaven's better. And I'm thankful that because Jesus died on the cross, because God sent his son to die, I'm going to see my son again. Amen? And we grieve, but not as those without hope. But I remember that each time, you know, when you get toward the end of the pregnancy, that traveling in a car can be rough. Imagine getting on the back of a donkey and traveling 80 miles through the desert. Amen? 
And that's why these pictures of Mary having a baby, there's no way they're accurate. Because she always looks just Rico Suave, you know what I mean? She just looks so perfect, like she just had this baby. And, and guess what? We know that it says in Genesis that women will have pain in childbirth. You can blame that on Eve. It's all her fault. It's in the Bible. But she traveled 80 miles, nine months pregnant to Bethlehem. Joseph had to go and tell her, baby, we got a little trip. We're gonna, and you know, all we got's a donkey, so we're going to go 80 miles in the back of a donkey. But you know what I have found to be true? Through some of the greatest and most difficult trials come the greatest blessings. Amen? And we need to know that no suffering is wasted. And everybody in the Bible used mightily suffered greatly. And again, life's greatest blessings often come through the greatest trials. Now, the house of Bethlehem, Bethlehem means house of bread. It's the city of David, the house of bread, and we know that Jesus is the bread of life. And what's amazing is back in uh, the Old Testament, when Rachel was pregnant, uh, she too was riding on a donkey, and she too came to the outskirts of Bethlehem, and she had a child, and she would die in childbirth. And she wanted to name her son Ben-Oni, which means uh, son of my right hand, or son of my sorrow, excuse me. And his name instead was Ben-Hamin, Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. Now, what's amazing about that is she gives birth outside of Bethlehem. And instead of Jesus, that he is acquainted with our sorrows and our griefs, Ben-Oni, and Ben-Hamin, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. So Rachel, who was, again, one of the quote, mothers of, the, you know, of Israel, right? Through her lineage would come the Savior. And so we see this picture all those thousands of years earlier, and it was always pointing to Jesus Christ because he is the fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecy. It's always pointed to him. So verse five, it says, to be, they said the city of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife. So again, betrothed means they're not, they have not consummated their marriage yet. It would be the equivalent of being engaged today, except that you could not break the engagement. It was an engagement that only could be broken through divorce, even though they hadn't consummated their marriage yet. So they were, you know, uh, betrothed to each other by their parents. It says, who was with child. And so it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. So as they get, they've traveled the 80 miles, they show up, they're in Bethlehem, and now in the midst of all the hustle and bustle, she's going into labor. Now, they didn't have hospitals everywhere. Usually they had to have a midwife or somebody that would come and help them give birth in somebody's home. So they're far away from home. You can't pick up the phone and call anybody. And because it's, you know, the Christmas rush, if you will, all these people coming for the census, they can't even find a place. They can't even find a room. So they can't even find a sanitary place, a clean room for Jesus to be born. Then it says in verse 7, so first we see that, again, the first point there, the truth about our Savior's birth, it's not a holiday created by man, but part of God's sovereign plan. And then we saw it's not a fable created by men, but it's the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, as we just talked about. Now, verse 7, And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, firstborn son, now just take note of this. There's many people that believe that Mary was a perpetual virgin, well, you know when I tell you about those people, they don't read the Bible because it says the firstborn. And throughout it, we will see that Jesus had brothers and sisters. James, who wrote the book of James, is a brother of Jesus. 
So while Mary was, was absolutely blessed among women, while Mary was absolutely used mildly by God, Mary is not to be elevated anywhere near the level of our Savior. Can I get an amen to that? Now, blessed among women, praise God for Mary, amen? But Mary can't save you. Mary needs to be saved because Mary was a sinner just like the rest of us, and she's been born again. And I love that song, Mary, Did You Know? That, you know, talking about the baby boy that she holds in her arms is actually her savior. When she kisses his face, she's kissing the face of God. So praise God for Mary, but Mary was not a perpetual virgin. She was not, you know, uh, we don't pray to Mary. Why don't we pray to Mary? Because Mary, the Bible tells us that there's one who's seated at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. And who is that? That's Jesus. So we pray to the Father in the name of the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And again, I know that some people do that unknowingly. Well, they, well I want to encourage you, if you've been doing it unknowingly, it's not biblical. You can't find it in the Bible. So just, you can pray directly to the Father. We don't pray to the saints either, because they too need Jesus. They too needed Jesus to be saved. So Mary, again, it was her firstborn son, and it says, wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Now, you know, it's amazing. I've seen with even my kids, we started off and by the time my daughter had kids, now they wrap them super tight and the kid, it makes the kids feel comfortable and helps them sleep. Well, swaddling clothes, they literally would take linen, they would cut them like sheets like we would have today and they wrap the baby tight and that tightness makes them feel comforted and gives them the ability to sleep. So they were used to bind them tightly to give their limbs strength and protection. And then it says, in a manger. Now, this is where we get the picture of Jesus being born in some kind of outdoor wooden structure where animals would go to feed. I hate to blow your vision of what it was like, but more than likely, it wasn't outdoors in some kind of a stable like that as much as it was in a cave. Because a lot of times, that's where they would have the, the, most of the mangers that you see from those days, if you've been to Israel, when they show you mangers from those days, they're all made out of like, like, con, like what we would call concrete, right? They're, they're, more, they're not made out of wood typically. And so what's interesting about that is, so he was born in what more than likely what was a cave. The manger he was put into was made out of stone and he was wrapped in swaddling clothes. Now, when you think about Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes in a cave, being laid upon stone. What does it make you think about? The tomb. Amen? See, Jesus was born so that he could die and raise from the dead so you and I could be forgiven. See, we're all sinners. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And God can't have one sin in heaven or he's got earth part two. So Pastor Dave, you're telling me I'm a sinner and God can't have sin in heaven, then I'm in trouble. Yes, you are and so am I. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And because he's perfect, holy God, he could die. No one else would die. No one else did die. Jesus did, was willing to, and then proved himself to be God by raising from the dead. And so what he's willing to do is take your place. He took your judgment upon himself and all of your sin was placed upon him. And now you have the offer of salvation through what he did on the cross. Price is paid in full, but you have to receive that free gift that he offers universally, but it must be accepted individually. So the baby is born, he's wrapped in swaddling clothes, he's in a feeding trough that you would use to feed uh, animals. 
And the ancient tradition held again that he was born in a cave, possibly one that sheltered animals. And again, it reminds me of his, uh, of his burial and the reason that Jesus came. Isn't it amazing that the Savior of the world was born in a cave? Isn't it amazing? And here's the tragic part, because here's what it says at the end of that verse. They laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So Mary and Joseph, it says there's no room. So we know they were trying to find a room because everywhere they went, they kept being told they're full up. And there's a clear correlation to each of us today. You see, Jesus, you know, his parents were knocking on the doors of the inns and being told, we have no room for you here. Well, the Bible says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. See, Jesus knocks on the heart of every one of us here. And we have an opportunity to either accept him as our Lord and Savior or reject him and say, you know what? I don't have any room for you. You're just not important enough to, for you to come into my life. Bethlehem was packed with all the travelers who had come for the census. And probably to me, I thought about like a Super Bowl Sunday when everybody converges onto a city and the, the rooms that are normally $100 a night are now $1,000 a night. And all the restaurants are full and everybody comes in. And that's exactly what happened in Bethlehem. So amidst all the hubbub and everybody making a ton of money, there were people that turned the Savior away. We don't have any room for you. We're too busy making money. Do you have $1,000 you don't? Well, you need to keep walking. And again, how tragic that they were so busy pursuing worldly riches that they missed out on the Son of God when he came to their door. I wonder if those who turned him away and passed into eternity wish they could do it over again. Amen? Do you want silver coins or the Son of God? And how about you and me? Are we so busy pursuing worldly riches and pleasures and comforts that we've missed the Son of God as he knocks on the door of our hearts? If you answered the door and God's calling upon your life, here's what really matters. On judgment day, no one's going to care how much money you made, how many followers you had or, uh, you know, on TikTok or, or anything else. All the, they won't care how big your house was or what kind of car you drove or how much you could bench press. I mean, all these things that we think are so important, all these things that we hold such value in, here's the only thing that will matter two seconds after you die. What have you done with God's son? Amen? Nothing else will matter. Have you given your life to the Lord? Have you recognized your sin and asked him to be your savior? Or have you rejected him? Because somebody's going to pay for your sin. The Lord is willing to, but if you reject him, you will have to pay for your sin yourself. It's too late for the innkeepers in Bethlehem to respond, but it's not too late for us. Amen? When this time has come and passed, only what you've done for Christ will last and nothing else will matter. And while the busy and prosperous innkeepers and the weary travelers miss the Messiah, we will see a completely different reaction from the hosts of heaven and the humble shepherds. How amazed the angels must have been when they saw Jesus leave heaven. See, the angels dwelled in heaven with the Lord. Then they saw him leave heaven and take on humanity. Leave, leaving heaven to come here shows you how much he loves us. There's not, a, look, I would, I'm transparent. I would give everything I own, everything I own to have my son back. Everything I own. I mostly don't have a full-time job. The pension, I've worked 33 years for the company. Every dime in my bank account, everything I own, you can have it all if I could have my son back. Here's what I also know. My son wouldn't come back if he could because heaven's better, Amen. And when we get to heaven, we're going to see our Savior face to face. And you know what? And as, as David said, I, he will not come to me, but I will go to him. 
And, I, and there's pain daily. It hurts. I mean, it's like someone's ripped your heart out. But I know that first hug in heaven with my son is going to wipe away all the pain from here until then. Guys, we have the promise of eternal life. I can't imagine living right now if I did not know the Lord. How would I endure this? If because I know the Lord, I can have peace in the midst of the greatest storm. It says in 2 Corinthians, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that through his poverty we might become rich. Guys, it's not Christmas without Christ. You can't be a Christian without Christ. Doing good works won't save you. Being a good person won't save you. Uh, even reading through your Bible in a year, if you don't surrender your life to the author, won't save you. Coming to church, being religious, that won't save you. You must have a relationship with the Lord. So we've seen how the innkeepers and the people in Bethlehem responded. And now we're going to see how will you respond to the message. Again, like the innkeepers and travelers, they were too busy for Jesus, busy pursuing money, comfort, and pleasure. And now we're going to see the response of the angels. Verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now let me just tell you about shepherds. Shepherds didn't get paid a lot of money, but good shepherds were also fearless. They would literally fight off. We know David killed lions and bears, right, in protection of the sheep. And shepherds, especially the ones that worked at night, because it didn't pay really well, they were usually kind of the lowest in the economic strata. So here these guys are out at night. So can you imagine if, the super, if it's Super Bowl Sunday in your town and you're out on a hill in the middle of the night in the cold watching a bunch of dumb sheep? And that's exactly what these guys are doing. And like it's, the, it's census time. The city is packed. There's so much energy in town. And we're sitting out here on a hill watching a bunch of dumb sheep. And sheep really are dumb. They are dumb. Some of you might have seen that video. I just saw this online recently where this guy, they rescue this sheep out of this crevice and it takes four guys and they get it out. And as soon as they get it out, it runs about five steps and jumps right back in there and stuck even deeper. The second. You're like, sheep are stupid. Now, that should tell us something. The Bible says that we're sheep. <laughs> but that's why we need a good shepherd. Amen. Because we keep falling in the ditch. And the Bible says he'll leave the 90 and 9 to go after the one. He'll do whatever it takes to rescue us. Amen? That's the God we serve. So these guys are nighttime hirelings. Again, if the owners of the sheep ever watched the sheep, it was never at night. It'd be during the day if they did it at all. Usually they'd just hire somebody to do it. So these guys are working in the middle of the night. They seem to be missing out on everything. But we're going to see, again, uh, how God is going to bless them in the midst of their faithfulness in such a, a, a something that no one else would really want to do. Verse 9, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. I guess so. You're out on the hillside. By the way, you know, there's no electricity in those days, not even close, but there's candles lit down. You can see the hustle. And all of a sudden, this, this supernatural light just hits you. Then there's an angel standing in front of you. Then the glory of the Lord surrounds you, and they're afraid. Now, again, most shepherds were very brave. Most shepherds were laying down their life for the sheep. They would fight off wild animals. Yet when the presence of Almighty God showed up, the glory of the Lord showed up, they were afraid. By the way, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Amen? 
And we should fear God. Now, I love God, and I know he loves me. And one of the names for God is Abba, which means daddy. So he's, daddy is someone whose lap you can crawl up into and have intimate fellowship with. But we also should have an awe and reverence for Almighty God. Amen? And no matter how great you think he is, he's greater than that. And again, being in his presence would drive any of us to our knees. And again, so why did the angel of the Lord appear to shepherds? Why didn't he appear to priests or, or a scribe or to the Caesar or to a king? Jesus didn't come for the righteous. He came for sinners. And, and Jesus, God gives grace to the humble but resists the proud. God doesn't call the rich and mighty. He calls the humble and lowly. In the song of Mary, uh, Mary it, this is a song Mary sang in Luke 1 when she found out she was going to give birth to Jesus. She says, it says, He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. See, the things that the world values are not the same things that God values. Man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. We're impressed with wealth and position and titles. And again, some of those are not necessarily bad things. But what really matters is our relationship with the Lord. Because Jesus came to be both the good shepherd and the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So I believe that he comes to shepherds because he is the good shepherd. And then, we talk, and then when he appears on the scene at the beginning of his ministry, John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They may be caring for flocks, that might provide for the sacrifices for the temple. And it was fitting that the good news about the good shepherd and the Lamb of God would be given to these humble shepherds first. How have you approached God? We see this a lot today. I was a youth pastor for 15 years before I became a senior pastor. So I, I, I worked with teenagers for 15 years on purpose. And, you know, and I love kids. I love teenagers. And we need to be careful. We need to know, we need to not put our faith in anything else but the Lord. And we must never be arrogant. We don't come to God arrogantly. We don't tell God. We don't challenge God. We come humbly and broken before God. Are we so busy we don't notice him like the innkeepers? Are we so prideful and arrogant that we're making demands of him? Or do we come in humility? So they were greatly afraid. And they were afraid of what they saw because it was both awesome and real. It got their attention. Verse 10, Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for, be to, what does it say? All people. And the Bible says he desires that none should perish, no, not one. Jesus didn't die just for the Jews. He didn't die for just the Gentiles. He didn't die for a certain uh, country or nation or skin color or, you know, whatever, where you stand economically. Jesus came to die for us all. And he desires that none should perish. No, not one. Good tidings of great joy. The word literally means to preach the good news. Who is the good news for? It's for all people. The good news is for everybody. Again, not just the religious, not just the Jews, but for all of us. So a natural response when confronted with a divine visitation or a mighty work of God is it drives us to our knees. Verse 11, for there's born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. The word gospel means good news. And you got to realize that for 4,000 years, and well, for thousands of years, but there's 4,000 years of history before Jesus came, for much of that time, they had a sacrificial system in place. 
And what they had to do in the Old Covenant is they would bring animals to sacrifice. And what it did is it made them understand that without the shedding of blood, there could be no covering for sin. The first time you see death in the Bible is after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And they covered themselves in fig leaves. And then it says that the Lord slayed an animal and they wore animal skins. Because without the shedding of blood, there can be no covering for sin. So for thousands of years, they were killing, they were, you know, slaying lambs and animals. What they would do is they'd take the animal, make sure it was perfect. Then they would, you know, slit the animal's throat, take the blood, and they would make the sacrifice. Or they'd burn the, the animal itself, depending on which sacrifice it was. So for thousands of years, they were making these sacrifices. And now we hear that Jesus came to be the sacrifice. And that's why we don't make sacrifices anymore. Amen? When Jesus died on the cross, his last word was tetelestai, which means it is finished or paid in full. He didn't say, hey, that's a good start. Amen? He didn't say that's step one of 12 steps. He said, it is finished. And praise God, through his shed blood, we can be redeemed. Your greatest need and my greatest need is forgiveness and redemption. And only Jesus can save us. He'd sent a, not a soldier to help them win a battle. Almighty God, he didn't send a judge or a reformer. He sent a savior because it's our greatest need. It was a message of peace. And peace is not the absence of war. It's right standing with God. So we think that peace is when all the battles stop. No, real peace comes in knowing the prince of peace. And you cannot have peace in your life. It doesn't matter if there's absence of war, if everything in your life is perfect. If you don't know Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace, you cannot have peace. He's more than a baby in a manger. He's the Savior of the world. So how do we know this peace? Through the Christ our Lord. Christ means Messiah, the Anointed One. Lord means the covenant name of God. It's a title of deity. So it says there, is born Christ the Messiah, the one they've been waiting for for thousands of years, and Lord, a covenant name for a title of deity of Almighty God. So how can we know peace regardless of our circumstances? Again, not through possessions or false gods, only through relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord. Each and every one of us has a God-shaped vacuum, and you can try to fill it with money, sex, drugs, alcohol, popularity, uh, position, possessions, pleasure, and all those things, your flesh will never be satisfied. It doesn't matter how much of it you take, you're always going to want more. But guess what? That God-shaped vacuum, there's only, it was created for one thing, and it's created for the Lord to reside there. And when the Lord resides on the throne of your life, then and only then can you have peace and comfort in the world that we live in today. Again, nothing else. The empty life will remain empty until it is filled with him. Verse 12. And this is a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. So you're up on this hillside, you're watching sheep. You're kind of probably bummed out, laying, you know, laying around, you know, because we, we got the graveyard shift on the best day of the year. And now the angels show up and you're thrown on your face before them. The glory of Lord surrounds you. And you're told that the Savior, the Messiah that everyone's been waiting for has been born down in that city. They're up on the hill. They can see Bethlehem. By the way, if you go to Israel, you can go to that, go to what they believe is the hill. And you look down and Bethlehem's not that far away. So they could see the lights in the city from all the candles and all the hubbub. And they knew that down there somewhere, wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger, is the Savior that we've been waiting for. Down there, in the midst of the hustle and bustle, the city overflowing with the multitude of people. And same thing here, 
You know, we can get so caught up in the hustle and bustle, but in the midst of it, Christmas is really all about Christ. He's calling us to him. He desires, again, that none should perish. He came from heaven, lived a sinless life, holy life as an example to us, went to the cross in our place, did it out of love for you and me. He didn't just say he loved you, proved it. It's easy to say someone loves you. You know how you determine your value? What someone's willing to pay for you. The value of a watch, the value of whatever it is that you're buying, there's a certain value. And only if someone pays that, is it worth that? Well, how much are you worth to Almighty God? He sent his son to suffer and die in your place. You are his treasured possession. Now, we see here that they're told this wonderful news that he's lying in a manger. How are they going to react? What are they going to do? Are they going to respond with faithful obedience? Like, are we, are we going to respond as they do, these humble shepherds? I pray that none of us is too busy pursuing the things of the world that we miss out on all that God has for us. But each one of us would be humble and brokenness, having seen our sin, our need for a Savior. Now, watch what happens here. And suddenly there was with them the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now it says the heavenly host. Now how many angels, a multitude of heavenly hosts? I have an idea they're all there. Because this is the most joyous event in the history of all mankind since creation. See, man had been separated from Almighty God. It had been thousands of years with man in a sinful situation, looking forward to the coming Messiah. And this is the most glorious event since creation itself, that Jesus has come, the Messiah has come. And watch what happens. All the angels show up. Can you imagine? These guys who were down in town thought they were the ones in the middle of, you know, the most amazing, you know, time. Even though they were getting taxed, they were with family, and what a joyous time. But the guys who really had it were the ones hanging out with the angels. Amen? And they were joining the heavenly choir. And, and you know what? The Bible tells us that when one person gets saved, that all the angels in heaven rejoice. So when someone gives their life to the Lord, it's the most glorious thing. It says in Revelation 5, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And they, they're around the throne. And what do they sing? They sing, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord, God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And guys, when we see our Lord face to face, we're not going to be able to help but to worship his name. I'm looking forward to that first hug from Jesus. How about you? Verse 14, again, glory to God in the highest. God's glory had dwelt in the tabernacle and in the temple, but had departed because of the nation's sin. Now God's glory was returning in the person of Jesus Christ. It says in John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The lowly manger became the holy of holies because Jesus was there. Amen? What made the holy of holies holy was the presence of Almighty God. And now this manger, this place where nobody else wanted to sleep, something that was set aside for animals, was now the holy of holies. I love the end of that, peace and goodwill toward men. It's not a universal declaration of peace toward all men. A better rendering would be peace toward men who have God's sovereign pleasure upon them. Those who've given their life to the Lord can live lives of 
sovereign, the sovereignty of God and the peace of God. God's peace is not a reward for those who have goodwill, but a gracious gift to those who are objects of his goodwill. Again, no peace apart from a relationship with the Lord. Maybe you're here tonight and somebody brought you and you, know, you came out of family obligation and you're going to have dinner after this or you had dinner right before. And I want you to know you're here by divine appointment. Nobody's here by random chance. God has you here tonight and he wants to speak to you. He wants to encourage you that if you've been pursuing this world and your life is empty, it will always be empty until you surrender your life to him. You'll never really know what peace is or comfort is or joy is apart from having a relationship with the Lord. Happiness is temporary based on our circumstances. If you're only happy when your circumstances are perfect, you're not going to be happy very often. But the Bible talks about joy and joy has nothing to do with our circumstances and everything to do with the fact that we have a right standing before God. This is true for every believer in the room. When you confessed your sin and you gave your life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. You have a down payment on heaven in the person of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. He will never leave you nor forsake you. No one can ever snatch you out of his hand. For Christians, Christianity's not a hope so, it's a no so. We don't hope we're going to heaven. We know we're going to heaven, not because we're good, but because he's good and he said that we will. Amen? And I'll tell you what, that is the greatest gift you can ever receive. Think about what some of the gifts you got five years ago three years ago, last year. You watch old videos of people opening gifts. Whatever happened to that? Stuff just goes away. You know, the greatest gift ever given was Almighty God sent His Son that we might have eternal life. Amen? Let's, find, let's finish up. Last point. Look at the humble shepherds. So how do they respond? They get the word from the angels. The Messiah, He's down there. The Christ, He's down there in that crowd. Now, what are they going to do? The innkeeper said, get away from me. You don't have enough money to come in. The angels were rejoicing. Final point, how do the humble shepherds respond? So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which is the Lord has made known to us. They heard about Jesus and they did something. Guys, it's not enough to just hear about Jesus. It's not enough to believe that he is God. It's not enough to believe that he died on the cross. It's not enough to believe that he rose from the dead. We have to go beyond believing it to entering into a relationship with him. Amen? And the exhortation here is, okay, we've heard this great news. What are we going to do? We need to go find him. We need to go find him. Look what it says, verse 16. Here they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph the babe lying in a manger. They came with haste. This is the first Christmas rush, if you will. Unlike the materially focused Christmas rushes of today, they're not looking for a pair of shoes, but a savior. They came in haste seeking the Lord. And, there, and we can, from the text in the original language, the word found there means found by search, which means they were going door to door and they were going to every place where animals were and looking for any place where this manger could be, where they could find the Savior. And I have an idea, they weren't going home till they found him. And there was a sense of urgency in their hearts and it became the priority and passion of their lives. Look what it says. They came and they found the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made wildly known the saying which was told to them concerning this child. See, here's another, here's another way we know if we've really given our life to the Lord. If you've given your life to the Lord, you can't keep it to yourself. Amen? Now as believers, sometimes we will 
How many of you besides me have wimped out when you know you're supposed to share your faith? And then you didn't do it. Amen. We've done it. Because sometimes we're just afraid of what the person will say and, oh, I'm not that outspoken and maybe they'll ask me a question I don't understand. But here's the reality. As believers, you know, I love introducing my family to people. One of the things I miss is my, my boys, the, the Johnston boys, three boys in 26 months. And praise God, two of my sons are still here. And praise God that one of my sons is in heaven. I'll see him again. But I used to love to just introduce my, my family to people because I love my family. I love to introduce my wife to my coworkers because I love my wife. Well, guess what? I love Jesus more. Amen? And loving Jesus more makes me a better husband and a better father and a better grandpa. Amen? And a better worker. And so if you love the Lord, how can you keep it to yourself? Everybody's got a, an SIN problem, a sin problem. And every one of us, it's like cancer. What if everybody in this room had a cancer? And then somehow we were given the antidote to the cancer. And we took the antidote and it took our cancer away and we were completely healed. And we had enough for everybody in the room and we just put it in a drawer in our house and didn't tell anybody else about it. We'd be the most selfish people on the planet. Well, that's exactly what has happened. There's a... There's a the cancer of sin. And we're all infected by it. And we can't keep it to ourselves because here's the good news. Jesus didn't just save me. He wants to save all of us. Amen? He desires that none should perish. No, not one. Notice they saw him and they began witnessing. It didn't take them long. Too often people say, well, you know, I'm a new Christian. I really can't share. Here's one thing you can all share if you're a Christian. Here's who I was. Then I met Jesus. And here's who I am now. That's called your testimony. Amen? I would encourage all of you to take some time and sit down on a piece of paper and write out your testimony, something you could share in three or four minutes. I want to encourage you because they're going to have opportunities and nobody can refute that. Before I met Jesus, here's who I was. Then I met Jesus. And now, now here's who I am today. They saw Jesus and they immediately began telling other people about him. This reminds me of a story of a guy I was on staff with at Calvary San Jose back in the late 90s. His name's Matt Valencia, and he's actually the pastor of the church now that I used to pastor in Santa Cruz. He told me the story that he was taken to camp every year, uh, to youth camp, and he was not a believer, even though his family was. And he took a couple, he took a buddy of his, and the whole time they were like cutting out of chapel, and they were staying up late at night. And, and one morning he actually got up and went to chapel. And when he went to chapel, he heard the message of, of what Jesus did for him. And he gave his life to the Lord and he gave his life to the Lord. And then there was a song playing afterward and immediately he said, I got to go tell my friend. He's been saved like four minutes. He runs back to his bunk, wakes up his buddy, tells him about what the Lord did and leads the guy to the Lord after he'd been saved for about five minutes. Guys, that should be the heart of every one of us. Amen. We need to love people enough to get out of our comfort zone, to tell them that there's a God who loves them so much, he'd rather die than live without them. I believe one of the greatest evidences of a life that's been touched by God is becoming witnesses. It says in Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. While we've not seen Jesus in the flesh, we do have the Holy Spirit within us. And I would encourage you, pray for divine appointments. Pray for divine appointments if you've got family coming that don't know the Lord. Don't be arrogant. Don't be self-righteous. We're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. Come in humility. Amen? We did, we did, we don't, we're, not, we're no better than anybody else. We've just been forgiven. Amen? And we're holy because of what he did, not because of what we've done. 
Final few verses, verse 18. And when they had seen him, they went and told everybody. And all those who heard it marveled at these things and were told to them by the shepherds. So when they told him the story, they marveled. They were kind of blown away that, like, how could this be true? God's truth is marvelous. It's not a matter of whose mouth it comes from. See, the, when people get saved, it's, it's not because we are so eloquent or we have the best argument. It's a work of the Holy Spirit in somebody's life. We're just tools in the hands of the master to deliver his message. These were lowly shepherds, but it woke up the whole town. People were all in awe of what happened. Could this be true? It would begin to stir the people up. These were men who marveled at the message to be, became messengers who made men marvel. These shepherds are good examples for us to imitate. They received by faith the message. They responded with immediate confidence. And after finding the Lord, they told everyone. Let me say that again. They received it. They heard the message. Angels showed up and told the message. They received it by faith. Wow, this is amazing. But then after receiving it, they responded. They went and sought the Lord. They went to find him. And when they had that relationship with the Lord, they immediately began to tell others. That's the example for us as believers to follow. God's not looking for ability, but availability. And again, we know the end of the story. They don't even know that the cross is coming, and yet they believe. And then it says, last two verses, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Can you imagine being this teenage girl, Mary? You've already had an angel show up to you, and tell you that you're going to give birth to a child without uh, being intimate with your husband. So now you've given birth as a virgin, and you know you've been told it's going to be Christ the Lord. And now, not very long after the baby is born, shepherds are showing up, and they're rejoicing, and they're worshiping, and they're praising God. And Mary is sitting here blown away by the fact that she's had such an incredible blessing and re to recognize all that God is going to do through her son. Then it says there, then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard, seen, and as it was told to them. I love that the shepherds took the place of the angels. Once they received the word of God and responded in obedience and, reached the, and reaching out to others, now they just rejoice. And I want to say this, please. I'm not trying to make people feel guilty or overwhelmed, but let me encourage you. If you really love the Lord, you should love to worship. That was really weak. If you love the Lord, you should love to worship. Amen. He alone is worthy to be worshiped, to be praised, and to be honored. Amen? And worship is one of the few things we do on earth we're going to do in heaven. We're not going to read our Bibles in heaven because the word is there, Jesus. Amen? We're not going to be sharing our faith in heaven. Everybody's already saved. Amen? But we will worship. And you know what? If you don't have a heart of worship, you should make that Lord Help me to get to a place where I walk in intimate fellowship with you. Because to know him is to love him, and to love him is the desire to worship him. And by the way, if you want to know him better, spend time in the word of God. To know him better is to love him more. As soon as they found out who he was, these shepherds... Now, wouldn't it be great? Maybe we'll get to see this in heaven. Wouldn't it be great if God like, shows us snapshots of stuff that happened in, when we get to heaven? But can you imagine that the, these shepherds 
when they were up there moaning, no doubt, and complaining because they're missing out on all the action down in Bethlehem, the most radical day in 14, you know, 14 years. And then angels show up and these angels are praying. And then the glory of God comes around them. And then they go down and they find Jesus. And then they come back. You know, can you imagine that before the angels came and after they saw Jesus, what a radical transformation that was up on that hill. I don't think anybody was complaining about watching sheep after that. Amen. They were so blessed. And that's the same thing that's missing in the lives of anybody who doesn't know the Lord. They don't have that joy. They don't have that peace. They don't have that comfort. They don't know the one that created them to have a relationship with him. And my heart breaks for every person who doesn't know the Lord. The angels who have not experienced God's saving grace do not have the privilege of witnessing to mankind. That's our job. God doesn't send angels to witness to people. He uses us. You shall be witnesses to me. The shepherds went back to their old jobs, but with new hearts. My prayer is that we go back to work. Uh, maybe you're off tomorrow. Maybe you go back to work on Monday. May we go back with new hearts. Amen. May we go back recognizing this is our mission field and an opportunity to point people to Jesus. So in summary, it's not Christmas without Christ. By the way, we have a happy birthday Jesus cake in the back. When my, my kids grew up, we always made a happy birthday Jesus cake. We sing happy birthday to Jesus just so that our kids will remember it's Jesus' birthday. Amen? Can you imagine if somebody threw a birthday party for you and you showed up and everybody there ignored you, gave each other gifts, <laughs> laughed and just ignored you the entire time, acted like you were not even there. Forgot all about it. Everybody got gifts but you. Everybody else is rejoicing and having a good time, and they acted like you weren't in the room. Guys, let's not do that to our Savior as we celebrate his birthday. Can I get an amen to that? You'd be like, that was the worst birthday ever. I'm not going to a birthday party again. It's all about Jesus. Let's magnify his name. Guys, it's not a holiday created by man, but part of God's sovereign plan. How do you react to the message God has delivered to you? Like the innkeepers, too busy. Lord, I can't, I don't have time for you right now. I'm making too much money. Like the shepherds, in humility, receiving the word, then responding to the word, then reaching out to others, then rejoicing in his presence. Jesus came to earth out of love for you. You are his treasured possession. He willingly died for you. He's knocking on the door of your heart, just like the door of this, the innkeeper, the innkeepers that were too busy. He's knocking on the door of your heart tonight. My prayer is you don't leave here without him. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We praise you. We love you. And you, O oh Lord, are the reason for the season. And Lord, happy birthday. Happy birthday to your son. And we thank you that you loved us enough that while we were yet sinners, Christ came to earth, lived a holy, sinless life, then went to the cross of Calvary, endured the torment, the suffering, and the shame that we might be forgiven. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here tonight that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. If you're here tonight and you've never given your life to the Lord, maybe you believe there is a God, but you've never said, I'm ready to surrender my life. The word is to repent, to turn away from the direction you're headed and to surrender your life fully to him. The Bible says, again, if you confess him before men, he'll confess you before his Father in heaven. I'm going to give you a chance to do that right now, and then I will pray with you. And if you truly mean that and you're sincere and say, Lord, I don't want you to come in my life. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want to have the promise of eternal life. I want to surrender my life to you. 
that's your desire, just raise your hand right where you are and I'll pray with you. Anybody here tonight at all? Don't leave here without the Lord. The Lord loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. Anybody at all? Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We pray, I just pray for blessings upon each of these families that are here upon their homes. I pray you'd be glorified in their homes as they celebrate your birth. I pray for divine appointments as we interact with family and friends and that Lord, above all, you would be glorified. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray and all God's people said.